Hello and welcome to the Excel Against the Odds podcast. I am your host, Sarah Berton, a chronically ill business mentor for business owners with chronic illnesses. I balance running multiple businesses, living with several chronic illnesses and raising my family. In this podcast, I tackle the complexities, everyday challenges and solutions of working with a chronic illness. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Excel Against the Odds podcast. I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by Natasha Lipman, a journalist and podcaster. Hello Natasha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. How are you today? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. I'm very happy that there's some sun streaming through the window. <laughs> it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, please could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah, so uh, my name is Natasha. I am, as of this recording, a week out of being a former BBC journalist. I am a chronic illness slash disability blogger. Um, I host the Restroom podcast, which is about living well with chronic illness. And I have two Substack newsletters. One which is related to my podcast is also called The Restroom and it's slow content for chronic illness. So more in depth content and the second quite randomly is a uh, language learning newsletter called how do you say and it's science-based strategies for part-time and tired language learners oh fantastic that sounds really interesting yeah brilliant how long have you been doing your podcasting for um I started my podcast quite sounds a bit silly to say now but if I'm being honest I started my podcast because my articles are really long and I know that several thousand word articles aren't accessible to a lot of people I prefer to read everything but I know a lot of people take in information more when they hear it so um for my series that I was working on about starting to move when you live with chronic pain I thought I might as well script it and read it as well as put it out as blog, uh, as well as put it out as a blog post. Um, and so that's kind of where my podcast started. Um, and I don't remember when that was. Um, might have been before the pandemic, but I have lost all track of time. Um, and um, I had several periods of time where I just wasn't able to do anything for the podcast. And so I was kind of playing around with things. And then in September last year, I started working with some producers um, and we've been putting out an episode every month. And as of next, no, wait, it's February. As of this month, we are putting out, well, we're putting out two episodes this month, which I'm really excited about. Oh, fantastic. And I'll be posting all the links to the podcasts in the show notes at the end as well. Thank you. Um, if you can feel, if you feel comfortable, would you be able to tell us a bit about your health conditions? Because I know that's one of the reasons that you set up your chronic illness podcast. It'd be great to talk to you about that, if that's okay. Yeah, my mum likes to tell a story about, I don't remember how old she said I was, two or three, and I was sitting on her lap on the swing and she had her hand on my knee and my knee just came out and she always pulls this like really grimacy face. Um, so I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome when I was 21 in 2009, um, but obviously I kind of lived with a lot of dislocations and a lot of health issues. Um throughout my childhood and teenage years um, but we always just thought that I had a bit of a weird body Um, the way that mostly manifested for me was issues with my knees um, and with my back and my neck Um, actually (laughs) I don't know I just remembered this Um, they thought I had a twitch um, but it turned out it was like neck problems um, because I was like doing weird things with my neck Um, but 
um, I was kind of able to push through a lot um, when I was younger. And then in my mid-twenties, everything kind of went to shit a little bit. And I developed POTS and histamine intolerance. And I kind of turned to wellness to try and fix that because there are a lot of people with similar conditions who were getting media attention at that time for how diet could help cure those conditions and at the time I couldn't eat I was having a really really difficult time and I had to quit work over and over again and I was so miserable and scared and alone and every medication I was put on made me worse and over the years luckily those conditions are a lot more manageable now um and I also developed quite severe fatigue. Um, I'd always had pain-related fatigue, um, but fatigue became much, much worse kind of from my mid-twenties. Um, and yeah, I, I, I kind of just see EDS as like the trunk condition um, where everything kind of comes off of it, to be honest. Um, and I've had a lot of ups and downs with it. Um, I've been very fortunate that I've had access to medical care, um, but even as someone who had access to medical care, even though it was quite a long time ago now, um, I think the the systems back then weren't particularly good for helping people figuring out how to live and manage these conditions, which is partially why my health got so much worse in my 20s, because everything that I had been told to do or tried hadn't worked. And so... I ended up getting worse um, and it wasn't until I sought out people on my own that I was able to make improvements and be able to figure out how I can have a life with these conditions. Um, but I've been very fortunate enough that I've been able to pay for it, which is why I'm really passionate about the work that I'm doing to try and make this information available to people for free. Um, because I think it's very frustrating to see the amount of suffering that people go through um and it's more than frustrating it's heartbreaking and um I think Professor Graham who was one of he's the man who diagnosed me um he was an EDS professor he um I read something that he wrote years and years ago and he said EDS doesn't have to be as disabling as it is um it's that people don't get appropriate and timely care that's not a total quote I don't remember exactly what it was but that was the gist of it and I think that's very very true no I agree as well I think Ella's Danlos syndrome is it just seems to be very difficult to get it diagnosed it took me decades and decades to get diagnosed with Ella's Danlos and it was only once I was diagnosed with POTS that I got diagnosed with Ella's Danlos um, up until that point I'd just been told that I was either when I was growing up it was growing pains and because I was so tall that I was growing too quickly um, or that um, I was too stressed with work. It was never, ever looked at as a medical issue. And it took until many, many years later before I was diagnosed. And it's so frustrating. And in fact, it's like you were saying, it was reading blogs by other people and listening to other people who were saying that I finally discovered that I had POTS. And even then, my cardiologist wouldn't believe me when I said I thought I had POTS. I had to persuade him to look at some test results again because um, I'd had a table tilt test and he had diagnosed me with vasovagal so I had to ask him to re look at those results again and he finally agreed that actually I did have POTS um, and then finally after that I was diagnosed with Alizanlos and without all that information that people like yourself had put out there 
I don't think I'd be diagnosed now. And uh, that is just so frustrating that people are living with these conditions without realising that there is something I can do about it. And a lot of the information that you get, if you see the wrong people, is wrong information. So I was told to remove salt from my diet, which in fact has a devastating effect when you have POTS. Um, so it's really good that someone like yourself is putting that information out into the public domain and uh, hopefully will help a lot of people get better. Thank you. It's it's interesting. Um, I got diagnosed with EDS. I think I was just very lucky. My physio was away um, and I had always had problems with my knees and walking around was always extremely painful for me. And so um, my physio was away and I saw another physio at her clinic who had just been on a course about EDS. And she was like, oh, hey, maybe you should go and look into this. If I hadn't seen that person who had happened to go on a course, like we'd never heard of it. It's got a weird name. We didn't know. We never we never heard of it before. So um, I feel really lucky that I just happened to see somebody who had heard of it um, 12 years ago now, I think. Um, and yeah, it's it's difficult. And I think a lot of it is that we kind of look at the body in body parts instead of looking at the whole body. Like I was in and out of physiotherapy and seeing doctors my whole childhood, but it was always like, oh, you've got another acute injury here. You've got an acute injury here. Let's just deal with the recovery from this. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been very interesting seeing over the last decade how kind of the way we talk about these conditions is, is starting to change. Yeah, as you say, it's, it affects the whole body. So it really does need to have that holistic approach, looking at every, all your symptoms rather than just one or two at a time. Because um, otherwise, it's almost impossible to diagnose without yeah. looking at the whole body. Brilliant. And you, you're now a freelancer. Um, how do you find um, being a freelancer works with your health condition? I always swore I'd never go back to being a freelancer. <laughs> um, I, for a long time, I thought that freelancing was the only option for me because it gave me more control over my health. Um, but there's an element of hustle to freelancing um, and a lot of things to juggle and you're kind of having to pitch for work while doing other work and it's a lot and I found that really challenging when I couldn't work especially because you don't get paid sick leave or paid holiday um, so it's still a bit confusing to me that I decided to do it <laughs> um, but I, I I felt like now maybe five or six years after I was freelance with something like five years I am in a better position to be able to get support to do freelancing and I have projects and opportunities that I specifically want to work on and crucially I have more information about how to better manage my own health and how better to say yes or no to things um so it's probably quite a good time that we're talking because I had my first week of it last week and I ended every day where like my eyes were popping out of my head and my brain was so hot and I was like ah um so it it really highlighted to me that like I can know can know a lot of things about how to manage my day-to-day -day energy spend but I don't always do it um yes. and actually it takes a lot of discipline and experimentation and understanding 
um, especially because I had been off work for a while. So I was almost going from like not working to working um, in a very short space of time. Um, so I've, I've been, um, even just over the last week, been thinking a lot about that and reevaluating, um, especially because my February uh, episodes of my podcast are about pacing. And so there was like a clip I pulled out of that and I sent it to my friend who has similar <laughs> issues. And I was like, I think we need to learn from this particular clip. So, um, yeah, it's 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 been an interesting experience, um, kind of thinking about making that transition. But what I've really, really realised over the last few years is that um, I need support to be able to do the things that I want to do because pushing myself has never worked for me sustainably. Um, and so I have to kind of figure out how to go about doing that. And I understand that you outsource some tasks now. Um, I guess that really makes a big difference. It allows you to 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 work on the things that you are interested in and outsource the things that take up your time. That and that really helps you, I guess. Yeah. The only problem with that is it costs money, right? So to have people who are good and responsible, um, it costs money. And again, like I am now in a position where I can get sponsorships for my podcast, or I can um get some work that pays well enough that I can outsource certain things um that would not have been feasible for me a few years ago and in a way it almost adds more pressure onto all of the other work that I'm doing because I need to be able to make enough to pay people to support me and also earn a living myself but my calculation for that is if I can outsource things I could take on more higher paid work which then means I can pay for the support um so I outsource I have producers for my podcast and I'm going to be working with an editorial assistant um for my newsletter and it is very much thinking about um what are my skills and what things can I do um and what are things that having somebody to work with um can bring to that so for example um one of the challenges that I had in my in my job was when i it's difficult being a writer because I had about a period of seven, eight months where I couldn't write. Um, and when that is 90% of your job and you're just staring at a blank page, um, it's really challenging. But I know, for example, that if I spoke to somebody and kind of talked through things and they kind of wrote up the bare bones of what I said and got something on the page for me and helped with some of the research that makes things a lot easier for me and I think a big part of it has been taking a step back and recognizing what do I want to do what do I want to work on um but also what can I do feasibly um like I was talking to my mum yesterday and she's like Natasha you already sound like you're overdoing it again you need to stop and I was like oh no but I have a plan this time <laughs> and um yeah I think it's a lot of this is tied up to the fact that when I was off with my flare up, I had a bit of a realization that I've always pushed myself too far in a work context because I, well, it's going to be a therapy thing now, but <laughs> I, um, because I spent so much of my formative work years having to leave everything that I did. Um, and I never felt like I could do things to the level that I knew that I could do them if I had the energy to do it. It's not even about external pressure it's about doing things that feel fulfilling to me and showing what I feel like I can do. Um, And so 
my priority was always to work and to push and to do as much as I could um purely for my own sense of self and I think since I had the last flare-up I realized that there's more to life than that and I need to find a better balance um so I had a call with my occupational therapist a couple of weeks ago to kind of think about more strategically how I can make all of this work um so yeah it's going to be an interesting few months I think absolutely and thank you so much for sharing I think you're very right I think a lot of us put an awful lot of pressure on ourselves because we we set high expectations and sometimes our body just doesn't allow us to do that and it can become very frustrating and it's about trying to understand what you what does work for you and what does work for your body and and changing your expectations and the pressures that you're putting on yourself to accommodate that and I think it's probably one of the biggest lessons you can have when you're when you are living with a chronic illness is to understand that there might be limitations but you can still do you can still find things to do that you love but it's just about understanding what works and what doesn't work what's funny with that though is when I was maybe 21 I went to see a pain management psychologist and she said to me maybe in our second or third session you need to expect less of yourself and that sent me into such a spiral I was 21 and it was basically like the way I took it at the time was you're not going to achieve what you want to achieve in your life. So you need to have, you need to lower your expectations of what that's going to be because of your health. And looking back now, I think it was probably a poorly phrased attempt to tell me I need to be kinder to myself and to do the things that we were just talking about. But I don't think it was phrased in a way that I could have responded to back then. Um, Yeah. You don't want to be told at age 21 that you're not going to achieve your dreams, do you? Yeah. I don't even know what they would have been at that time, to be honest. <laughs> but I, 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 think it's, um, I think it's an interesting question of, like, how can we talk about adapting and rethinking and reconceptualizing things without telling people that they can't do things? Because, of course, there are things that I can't do. I've got to a point where I've accepted that. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't play around with things and experiment and try new things. And um, I've stopped and started so many things over the years and I never view it as a failure. It's always trying and you can always learn from it. And I think that's um, been a really, I think, a mentally supportive thing for me that I'm, I think I'm naturally more attuned to that, which I think I'm quite lucky. Yes, yeah. I, my um, newsletter this week was about failure and the fact that it's all about changing your mindset around failure and as you say seeing it as as just trying trying different things it, not everything it, you try is going to be a success but it doesn't make it a failure it just means maybe it wasn't the right direction for you and also you learn so much from from those failures or things not working out how you hope and you end up doing things much better in the long term anyway so it's always good to try these different things and see what really does work for you absolutely and um, could you tell me what how you incorporate self-care into your daily life? I know you do a lot of physio and things like that, but how, how do you fit that into your daily life around your work? So I don't see a physio specifically. I see a strength and conditioning coach um, and she is incredible. Um, the pandemic has actually really helped with that because I stopped going out and so my energy was much more my own. Um and I had kind of more control over what I was doing. And because um, 
my PT wasn't coming to my house it meant from like the other side of London it meant that I could split it into two shorter sessions um and then add a longer stretch session in my own time after it so it meant that I could kind of have more overseen time physically without it being such a big energy drain one day of the week um so I kind of have a small list of things that I know if I do them every day I do feel a bit better that includes trying to get as much light as possible and I'm someone who's naturally a vampire and would live in the dark but actually I do find light and fresh air really really help um so um I try and make sure that I open my curtains and sit in front of a lamp or like literally sometimes I will sit with my head out of a window in the morning um I try and meditate every day um this took me years and years to be able to do I finally found ways to make it work for me um I've been trying to put my phone away at night and not look at my phone um I'm trying to set better boundaries in terms of um blocking out different times throughout the day um for different types of activity um and maybe that's something we can talk about later um but I think a really really big part of it for me is taking time away from devices and um thinking work so my occupational therapist and I'm talking about it in my podcast this month um talks a lot about different types of energy spend and I tend to find that even when I'm not doing kind of quote-unquote work my relaxation things that I'm naturally drawn to are still more like intellectual brain usage which means that like I'm still kind of overheating my brain a little bit so um I'm trying really hard to incorporate small bits of movement throughout the day I have a pedal bike for example if the weather's really nice like at the weekend the sun comes out because it's winter when we're recording this I'll say to Sebastian can you take me for a walk um and I'll take the very later and we'll go for a short walk and I'll sit and we'll just get some fresh air and get some sun um a few weeks ago I literally just sat in on the bench next to the car park in my building (laughs) um just to just to sit in the sun um for a short period of time um so yeah trying to find quiet and stillness because I'm naturally very not like that um and trying to incorporate little bits of movement where I can especially for example trying to make sure that I'm not just lying in bed for hours and that I do get up even if it's just to walk around my bedroom and then get back into bed those really small things don't cost anything and they make a really big difference um to my day-to-day life and then the other thing that is um I suppose my big thing that has made me really really happy is I'm now learning a language um and that has been a challenge but has brought me a huge amount of joy um and has been something that because it has given me a structure and connection and the ability to learn something new um and I'm purely doing it for myself um it has been I think a really significant form of self-care for me um yeah I don't I suppose I don't have any kind of I don't think any of those things are particularly special I think it's just more kind of finding ultimately self-care I suppose if we're taking it even a step further for me is figuring out how I can 
find a bit more stability in my life with my symptoms and not push myself to the point where I'm experiencing such severe highs and lows. And so experimenting with things that can help with that um, is the ultimate self-care for me, really. Absolutely. It's around sort of finding that balance, isn't it, between different types yes. of activities. And I, I love the fact that you're learning a language because it's it's a hobby that's purely for you. Um, so even though it's intellectual, it's something that you love doing and is making you feel better. So finding time to do that sort of thing. Because often, I think, when we have a chronic illness, it's either work or rest. There's not much in between. But doing something that you love can bring you that joy that you need in your life. And it changes your whole outlook on everything, which can then make you feel a bit better. So it's, it's wonderful to hear that you're doing that. Which language are you studying? I'm learning Yiddish, um, oh, which wow. is an Eastern European Jewish language and uh, is the language that my family spoke, um, but it didn't get passed down to my mum and therefore it didn't get passed down to me. Um, and I am learning with my fiance and with one of my best friends. And um, yeah, it's been a huge amount of fun. Um, and I basically had to relearn how to learn languages. And I just suddenly like knew all of this stuff without having to sit down and study. Um, which has been really great but I think one of the things that it has done and I think you can kind of take lessons from this to living with and managing chronic illness is you don't realize the progress that you make until you get to a place where you are aware of the progress and um seeing progress is like really bloody good for our mental health like really really good um but also I've talked to my PT about this a lot like until I'm in a position where I'm like, oh, I've been able to do this. I don't realize that I couldn't do something before or that I've spent five years building up to this, right? And it's it's really hard to feel confident in your abilities wherever you are at any point um, because you might be dealing with flare-ups or you're not feeling very well or just like the day-to-day things that life throws at us. But it's only when you kind of have been doing a lot of that work and then you can kind of look back and see in context where you've been um that you're like oh actually like I've come really really far Absolutely. Um, so in a lot of ways I feel like there's quite a lot of overlap um like this time last year I could say like hello and goodbye and that was about it and now I can have conversations for hours like not grammatically correct most of the time I don't know all the vocab not saying I'm fluent at all but I think it's often like taking a step back and looking where you were and what got you to where you are um now um wins and I don't like to say losses but like things that worked things that didn't work um can play a really big role in kind of helping you better understand your life I guess (laughs) absolutely it's funny actually I was uh, recording a workshop this morning and talking about um understanding your achievements and uh how that can help you and it can help in business but as you say, it can also help with your health and in life in general. It's just seeing how far you've come. I think when you've got a chronic illness and you're looking, say, at your business, it feels like it's almost the things that you have to do are unachievable. And yet you can make those little baby steps forward. And before you know it, you've achieved an awful lot. If you just do one thing a day, that's 365 things you might have done over a year. And that's an awful lot. Of, even though you don't feel like you're doing as much as everybody else, you're still doing an awful lot and it's great to think of that and to and to really look back and see how well you've done and and how far you've come. And as you say, with, with even things like doing exercise, where you might start and where you are in a year's time can be what pulls apart. But unless you take that time to look at it and see 
and to understand what you've achieved it's very hard to to really take take sense of that and to see that you it might be a minuscule difference each time but it's making a big difference in the long term and I think those minuscule things are really important. So in my movement series that I did, and actually we'll be talking about this in the pacing thing as well, the people who are kind of in a place where you haven't been able to do anything for a very long time, even like 10 seconds, 30 seconds of doing something can end up having a really substantial impact over time. Um so for example, if we're talking about exercise, the way we think about exercise is like go to the gym, do a workout. But if you've been like lying flat in your bed for several months, exercise might be like propped up on some pillows for 10 seconds for you, right? Like, and though how we kind of reconceptualize what making progress is or what we need to do is like really, really important. Um, something I used to do when I would have flare-ups, I would get re- I used to get really, really depressed during flare-ups because I was like, this is my life now. I can't do anything. I'm really miserable. And what I started doing was um, instead of to-do lists, because I love a good to-do list, I started doing have-done lists. So I would be like, I brush my teeth. I put things in the dishwasher. I like got myself something to eat I ordered my food or just like all of those things and even when you think you've done like nothing in that day because this was when I was living alone um you've actually still done a lot that day even when you're having a really hard time and I think um just reconceptualizing like what is work um and what we're spending our energy on um can be like really quite substantial um in thinking about how we're living <laughs> yes yeah definitely and like, I call those you'll have done this I quit a ta-da list that like yes. what I've completed and I, I love that and I, I think it's so important to be able to realize what you have achieved and even if it is something minor it does use up a lot of energy and it it is part of living and it's amazing to actually understand that and and be grateful that you've been able to do it as well I think that can really help Yeah. And then if you're talking about it in a work context, you can't separate out those life things from the work things. So one of the things that I'm trying to really do is not be overly ambitious um, about what work I can take on um, in terms of freelance projects or other things. Like I've actively kind of pushed a bunch of meetings to March and April or said, I'd love to work with you on this, but I can't right now. Um, Can we pick up on this in the future? Because I know that the before the work, like in order to work, there are things that I have to do. And those things are like trying to keep my body functional, which includes PT and like doing things to calm down my system. Like I've realized the biggest piece in my puzzle is that I've been living in fight or flight for 20 years. Like 12 years ago, a physio said to me, you've been living in fight or flight for a decade. And then I never did anything about it. And we're now like a decade past that. No, like 12 years past that now. Um, so that's like something that I'm actively working on, like trying to learn to calm the F down is, um, it's like a big thing for me this year. So like those things are really vital, um, to being able to do things work-wise because if I can't do that and I can't, you know, be able to feed myself regularly or like all of those things are not under control, I can't do the work. Um, And then also the other thing is like Yiddish is also a huge priority for me. So like my schedule is now also based around like times that I have in for class and conversation groups and all of these things, like those things are already in my schedule that 
a kind of non-negotiable um and then the other things are kind of based around that I completely agree with that approach as well I'm always telling the people in the entrepreneurs against the odds Facebook group to plan things in for themselves first and then their work after it so things that are important that bring you joy that um make you happy you plan those in first and then meetings and work can fit around that and you'll probably still get the same amount done if you've done it the other way around but you make sure that you put yourself first and your needs first because it's so easy just to sit sit down and just spend the whole day working and not achieve any more whereas if you actually do things that you love when you do work you'll get more done in less time because you've got that joy and that energy that you have that you can get from doing stuff you love as well. And I think talking about outsourcing here is, again, really interesting, not in terms of outsourcing to other people, but outsourcing to technology. So, for example, I use Calendly um, and I love it. And what I've done and I even I adapted this even more over the weekend, like I will block out like if I look at my calendar for the next week or two weeks and be like, I already have too much in. I will not let anyone be able to book in a meeting with me. Um, I've also limited how many of a certain type of meeting I can have on any given day. So um, it means that I then am not spending all day on calls. Um, So I'm kind of outsourcing having to think about um, like the meeting side of things. But I also outsource um, thinking about how I work in blocks of time. So for example, I had a writing commission last week and I was like, oh God, how am I going to write this? I can't like I'm not in the mindset for this and but what I found really works for me and I know this doesn't work for a lot of people is I give myself 20 I can do 20 minute focus blocks um I I set an alarm on my phone and I say I'm gonna sit down all my apps are off my phone is away and for 20 minutes at my desk I'm just gonna write something um the first block was kind of crap the second block in the break I had had my idea of how to formulate it so in the second block, I was able to, I made a note on my phone um, and then I came back to it. I was able to do it. That was all I was able to do that day. Then the next day I came back to it. I did a couple more blocks and I finished the article. Brilliant. If I do not have alarms and time blocks, I either do not, I can't get something done, but also I overdo it. Like I can find that 20 minutes is the max that I can do um and often what I'm really prone to do because and this is the problem with doing something creative when you're in the flow is that you want to keep staying in that flow of something um I find that if I do do that like oh I've written something I might as well just read over it and make a couple of edits I then won't be able to work um yeah. so I have to use alarms and be really strict and then say I can come back to this you need to go and do something either physical or like very mentally restful, um, like low cognitive. Um, otherwise, <laughs> the only way I can describe it is like my brain overheats, right? And um, that's something that I did not pay as much attention to last week as I should have. Um, and I felt the repercussions of it. Um, I used to like very aggressively calendar block everything. Like I used to put in what task I was doing and then what rest type of rest break. So I had kind of already thought about it and I didn't have to. And then I use alarms and I don't do that all the time. I'm trying to be a bit less rigid with that um, because I would have to then move things around. And um, But what I always try and say is like, just as long as I've given X amount of time and I've tried 
And I try and give myself as many days in advance as possible to do things. I, I try not to leave things to the last minute. Um, that has helped a lot. And just having an alarm be like, stop. <laughs> um, and I then just tell myself I've done the best that I can in that time. I can come back to it. Um, and that has been really vital. And something my occupational therapist said to me the other week is, think about how many of different types of jobs that you can do at any given time and use that as your overarching thing. So for example, I know that I have to work on my podcasts and my newsletters every week. I know I have to do that. So that is time that I know that I need to dedicate. So then that means how many freelance writing jobs can I take on? How many um, consultancy jobs can I, you know, all of these different types of things. How much time can I dedicate to social media? Can I dedicate to whatever? Um, and those are all calculations that have to be made. It's like a lot to think about, really. It is. It really is. It's a uh, life as a freelancer or a business owner is there's so many different tasks to do, and it's trying to work out the prioritization of that so that you're not over overdoing it and you can make the most progress in as little amount of energy as possible. But I do like that idea of time blocking in short amounts of time um, with, with an alarm to remind you, because that's, that's the way I work as well. And it's amazing how you can achieve quite a lot in, in a small block of, of time when you're focused without any distractions. I think often your work can can stretch to fit the amount of time. So if, you're, if you've got a small exactly. amount of time, you can get a lot done. And also, like, even just with emails, right, you, like, ignore a bunch of emails because you're overwhelmed or you don't have time to look at them. And then you put aside 20 minutes and you've done all of them. But you're not... Um... One of the things I've been talking to my friends about is that, you know, we have our chat apps open and we kind of talk all day. But if I close them when I actually need to do deep, focused work... I actually get so much more done with just like everyone leave me alone for 20 minutes at a time. I'm able to do so much more. And I think this is one of the challenges with like the fragmented nature of like how we communicate, especially if we're all at home and depending on the internet and social media for our connection. Um, it's made me so fragmented and the worse I feel, the more I seem to get caught up in the fragmentation and then I'm less able to get out of it and it becomes like this real vicious cycle um so when you're tired all you can do is kind of like half stare at screen and scroll but I feel so much worse for it absolutely <laughs> it's not good for your health or your mental health to do that but it's what you're inclined to do when you're not feeling well yeah and I'm exactly the same when I'm having a bad day I waste time doing things like that whereas the best thing I could do is just put away all screens and and go and lie down or get some fresh air mm -hmm. um, but it's overwhelmingly wanting to do that for some reason I, I don't really understand what the connection is but there is definitely a, a feeling that when you're feeling like that you end up scrolling and, and not actually feeling better for it. For a long time it was all I felt like I could do but I now know that there are other things that make me feel a lot better than that but I think it's really hard like you know if you physically don't feel like you can get up <laughs> like it's it's really hard and it, I think it feels it feels like you can have a form of connection you can engage with things you can still see what's going on in the world and get messages from other people and um I understand the draw I just hate how it makes me feel and so it's trying to limit that as much as possible and again I think this is where the consciously thinking about like time blocking has been helpful for me because 
I used to find when I would time block, I was over ambitious in the mornings. And then by kind of one, two o'clock, I'd just be in bed, um, staring at a screen and then I'd feel worse. Whereas I think if I was a bit more conscious about it, I might have been able to not have ended up feeling as bad. And I think this is the thing when you're talking about something like pacing, prioritizing, organization, all of these types of things is the ultimate aim for me is can I prevent feeling worse than I have to? I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, And it's really difficult having conditions that are predominantly managed by self-management because I think there's a And there's a really big conversation to be had about like the lack of general support, care, financial and medical for people with these conditions. And I will be the first one to say that like I would be, I don't think I would be here if I didn't have access to the care and the financial support that I've had. Um, We wouldn't be talking now. It is very difficult trying to figure out how to balance those things. Um when you can't just outsource it to medication right (laughs) or um as joe my occupational therapist has said like if you've had a condition for years and years and years and you haven't had the support to manage it it will take you years and years and years to get to a place where you feel like you can live and manage with it absolutely and that's really really challenging which is why we talk about like 30 seconds at a time yes yeah, it's a, it's a lot to unlearn, isn't it, as well? If you've been doing things for a long time and you haven't realised what impact it's having on your conditions, it's trying to unlearn that and work out what is working for you and how you can make yourself better. So an awful lot to a, get your head around. Yeah, and there's a really big difference, I think, between like different stages of where you are in your condition. Like It's very different if you have always been healthy and become ill or if your condition has worsened, which happens to a lot of people because they don't get the care and support that they need and deserve. But also, I think the psychological aspect of being kind of functional and able to do things has different psychological ramifications than being too unwell to do anything. And then that process of getting back into the world or having to kind of step away for a little bit, like they all have very different ways of coping and different impacts on you. Um, And so I often personally, like once... I kind of had been in it for a little while I actually when I wasn't able to do things for a period of time I found that easier sometimes than when I was trying to do all of these things and then I was overdoing it and not it was like it, it, it's a different thing because like I, I my expectation of myself was less when I was like this is a time where I need to recover versus this is a time where I need to do a thing I had such higher expectations on myself that psychologically it was a different type of challenge does that make sense it does yeah I can certainly see where that comes from and actually leads to nicely to my next question which is if you were because I know you've had a big flare recently but if you were to have like a a bad health day where you just wake up and you're not feeling well at all that day how do you deal with that in terms of your business or if it's a couple of days rather than a big flare but more like a, a small small flare where you just feel quite unwell for a day um I call those a blip So um, the first thing I try and do is I try and cancel anything that is not completely necessary to me that day. Um, I tend to find that most calls, most meetings are actually not time 
sensitive or as time sensitive as we think they are. I, um, everyone that I work with, I make very clear that my bad days do happen and I do need some flexibility and it's really important for me to be upfront about that. Um, and it gives me, I always try and build in buffers. Um, it is very difficult when you have to then end up stepping away from something. Um, but one of the things that I try and advocate for is to be as honest as possible. Um, and it can be really hard to do that because I know in a lot of situations, it just isn't feasible. Um, I found that when you're in situations where that is possible, being honest up front. Um, and if I know, for example, like I've had a bad few days and that I could still maybe do a little bit, but I need to take it easy. I will cancel things or I'll say, hey, like this has been going on. I'm really sorry. Um, for example, like we are dealing with a lot of um, noise issues since we moved. Um, and that's had a real impact on my ability to work. Like I've been, I was woken up this morning five times from 4 a.m., right? Like, Ooh. and so this morning I was like, oh no. Um, so it's, it's, I found, I managed to get back to sleep and I slept in a little bit, but, um, I, I've not been freelancing long enough to be able to give a really good answer to this, I suppose. But I think it's trying to build in buffers as much as possible yeah. is really important to me. And I, I try and have longer deadlines. I never say like, yes, I can do this for you tomorrow. Um, Absolutely. It's a good idea. Yeah, is a is a really uh, important thing. And then I really try and double down on the things that I know help me um, during that time. Um but I think this is why I'm working so hard at the moment on trying to find that better balance because then the aim is that I will have less of those days. Um, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and um, do you have any advice that you'd give to somebody who's who's got a chronic illness and is thinking about going out and starting their own business or becoming a freelancer? I think it's important to understand the positives and negatives of being a freelancer um, and it really depends on what you're trying to do. Um, I would never talk anyone out of it um, but I, I do think especially um, it's especially important that you understand your own condition and how you live with it and how you manage it and how you work with it um, because and I've said this in an employment context as well whilst employers have a responsibility to support you um, and make adjustments if you aren't well enough to do something all the adjustments in the world aren't going to change that and so I think being really realistic and honest about what you can do um, is very important um, and I think that's the first step and I think it's also important to realize you don't get paid if you don't work when you're a freelancer um I know some people who have started businesses and they were able quite early on to start outsourcing a lot of things which gave them a huge amount more time and I think it was once they kind of got over their pride um that was quite important for them um to ask for help um and to find other people doing the same thing and to talk to them and to kind of build community and network um and networks to understand how other people make it work I think we all work completely differently so I know that the way I work 
is like a nightmare for some other people um and I think kind of recognizing um that you have skills and you have a huge amount to offer I think like we were just talking about the kind of the not so positive sides but I think um if you have been figuring out how to manage your condition for a long time or it's something that you've been doing that gives you a huge amount of skills that are really bloody beneficial in business as well um absolutely and it could be a really really powerful thing and I've started a lot of different projects and I always have a lot of different ideas and some of them end up taking off and some of them don't um I try and again I don't know how useful this is for other people like I don't have long-term goals with things I kind of have shorter term things I'm really passionate about and want to work on um and that is beneficial for me because I've had to stop a lot of things and so if I get too attached like this is the thing I will do for the rest of my life I'll only get disappointed um but we all have those things and we all have these skills and I think it's really figuring out and harnessing what makes you different and what makes this idea different um and then trying to find the support um to make it happen really a great answer thank you and this is a question that I ask all my guests. Um, do you think there are any improvements that we as a society can make towards people with chronic illnesses? Um, I think it's really interesting to ask this question now with long COVID and the repercussions of the pandemic, um, because it has only really exacerbated a lot of the things that people in chronic illness and disability communities have been talking about for years if not decades um about the challenges that people face um i think understanding the impact of energy limiting chronic illnesses um and kind of recognizing that um what our perception of disability is is often still quite flawed um i think even disability and chronic illness aside there's been this huge reckoning that the way that most people work is not sustainable um and I do not have the answer to this um but I think following these conversations even just in terms about you know flexibility to go into the office or you know before I like back in my old days of freelancing people would approach me specifically and say hey can you do this piece of work for us I'd be like yeah I'd love to da, da, da. and they'd be like can you come into the office I'd be like no and they're like but you need to come and write I, I sit behind a computer I had a job where I was doing social media for a company and we'd agreed and then they made me go into the office twice a week and it made me so ill I just couldn't do it and I think the pandemic has changed some of those things um, but it's still a wider conversation that needs to be had um, and about the, the the role of support and for for everybody we've seen people with kids people who have caring responsibilities um, all of these things so um, I don't have the answer but I um, I'm definitely intrigued to see where these conversations go in the next few years because accessibility benefits everybody not just chronically ill and disabled people <laughs> Absolutely. And I think um, a lot of businesses have to think about accessibility, not just for their employers or employees, sorry, but also their customers as well. If there's a lot of people facing having disabilities or, as you say, things like long COVID. And I think having these conversations now will start to answer some of those questions and will 
hopefully move forward a lot more positively in the years to come. Yeah. Thanks, Natasha. And um, final question is, um, can you recommend either a business book or a podcast um, that you think our listeners would enjoy? It's not a business one specifically, because I don't really read business books, but it's one related to health that I think is quite interesting for this conversation, if that's okay. Of course, yes. Um, oh gosh, now I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> it's an excellent book. Um, this is where I don't have my phone with me, because I'm, oh yes, I had it hidden under my pillow. <laughs> I'm terrible at remembering names of books. It's like, this book is excellent, and I found it amazing. What's it called? No idea. <laughs> So it's called Recovery, The Lost Art of Convalescence by Dr. Gavin Francis. And it's a really, really tiny book. And it's about the idea of what we mean when we talk about recovery and convalescence and um, being able to live with health issues, because obviously not everyone can quote unquote heal or recovery, but a recovery can be doing what we're doing. We're finding ways to live with our conditions. And I found it really empathetic and powerful um kind of short meditation on what it means to live with challenging health conditions um and I think it can have impacts on so many different aspects of your life and how you think about things including work so um yeah I I don't really read business books but um this one I really would recommend to anyone who lives with a long-term health condition Oh, thank you so much for the recommendation. I'm definitely going to take a look at that. It does sound fascinating and uh, really useful for people, as you say, with, with chronic illnesses. Lovely. So thank you so much for coming along today to chat with me, Natasha. Um, please could you let the listeners know where they can find you? Thank you so much for having me. Um, you can find a, a repository of everything that I do on my website, natashalipman.com. That's L-I-P for Peter M-A-N. Um, you can find me on social media at Natasha Lippman um, and on Substack, natashalipman.substack.com and how do you say.substack.com and my podcast is called The Restroom and I think that is everything for this promo. Amazing, thank you. And I will add all those links to the show notes as well if you would like to thank get in contact with Natasha. Thank you so, thank you so, so much, much for to having talk me. To you. It's been so lovely chatting to you and uh, I wish you well with your new freelancing. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode if you have a chronic illness and either run a business or want to then come and join our free and friendly facebook group entrepreneurs against the odds to sign up to my newsletter or to learn more about how my business mentoring services can help you grow your business and make it work better with your health check out my website at www.excelagainsttheodds.co.uk have a great week